Um, as we progress through 1 Samuel, we, we came out of chapter 16 and we saw, or I tried to explain whether or not you received it, is that you can look at David's life through a grid and you can see how, how God was preparing him for what his future um, role would be. And of course that becomes the, the king of Israel and in many ways the deliverer of Israel. He's, he's often spoken of as a, as a type of Christ. One who redeemed. Of course, ultimately, it is Jesus, the one that we've been singing about, who is our Redeemer. So today, what we do is we enter chapter 17, and chapter 17 is all about David and Goliath. Who who amongst you have heard of David and Goliath? Most of you. In fact, probably all of you. And that's one of the problems you face. Whenever you speak from a passage as famous as this... Most of you will just shut down thinking you know all all about it. I'm going to give you a different take on it. A totally different take. Oh, good. Yeah, well, I was rehearsing this morning as I I had a coffee with Kay. And uh, next to Kay's side of the bed, she has a list. And the list that she has uh, speaks of the attributes of God. Give me an attribute of God. Love. Fantastic. (laughs) <laughs> but you're, oh, no, we'll, we'll, we'll go. come on there's lots of attributes grace who said grace yeah fantastic yeah trustworthy fantastic yeah long yes he needs to be with some of us thank you Anne <laughs> holy yeah we could go on Case, I, I think I'm right you've got the whole alphabet except maybe one letter or have you yeah um and, and you can go through them, and they're, they're marvellous with what you do with them. We, we were um, discussing about having another list next to, her, next to her on the wall, and that would be her identity in Christ. It's good to know who God is. Trustworthy. Graceful. Holy. All those things. And you can spend a lot of time studying them, but do you know who you are if you are a Christian? If you do, you need to shout out something to me. You're chosen. Come on, Catherine. Is that it? Just we're all chosen? Is that the end of the preach? Called, loved, saint. What does that mean? Set apart. Come on, Michelle. Adopted. Adopted into his family. And all these things are true... But you know what? As we look at chapter 17, what we will find is people forget. It doesn't change anything, by the way. Us forgetting what God is like doesn't change God. Us forgetting what we are like doesn't change us. We just don't behave true to ourselves. And so the word I'm going to give you today is theocentric. Oh, you see, don't play Scrabble with me. Do not play Scrabble with me, right? <laughs> yeah, oh, oh, right, okay, look, 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 look. Let, calm down, children, come on, calm down. It does, John, does it, you know, it means, it's a posh word for God-centred. Here you go, look, Theo is God, and centric 
That's easy, that. Thank you, Stephen. Yep. Theocentric. You and I are called to have theocentric lifestyles. So tell me what that looks like. It looks very quiet at the moment. Go on. That's one way of describing it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, there we go, Sunday school answer. Yeah, and does a lot of children's work. Yeah, go on. Come on. What about if I said to you, right, if you have a theocentric lifestyle, that actually, because it's from the centre, it affects every area of your life. You cannot give me one area where God should not be involved and be the centre. You know, if I stop the sermon there, there's enough to go away on. Don't worry, I'm not. <laughs> We're just, this is just the introduction, right? We haven't even looked at the text. If you allow yourself to be theocentric orientated, your life exhibits God. It, it, it actually displays all the attributes on case, next to case bed. If, if I then adopt who I am because of him, and we'll, we will end with the fact that it's not dependent on you anyway, uh, if, I, if I actually walk in the knowledge of who I am, then that's got to look like something in everyday life. It has to look something how I behave with Kay. Not when I'm behaving with a mic in front of people, but actually I'm by myself. When there's just me and the internet, and there's just me and the television. You know, that, that's got to influence what I actually allow to in, input into my life. It, it even in, influences, for some of us, Michelle, it influences how I drive my car. <laughs> oh, that was obviously not an in-joke. J- just for those, the guests amongst us, I'm a man of faith, which I find really helpful sometimes. <laughs> and a man of prayer frequently when I'm travelling as a passenger. Okay. Yeah. But let me tell you something. Before we look at David, what I want you to understand is you don't get that by accident. And, uh, you know, the David and Goliath story, even secular history uses it as a fable, really. You know, I, I like football, and, and last year, who were the giant killers? Leicester. What did you say, Liverpool? <laughs> Isn't it great to have a church leader amongst them with such knowledge? <laughs> For those of you who want to go on, who wants to be a millionaire, don't have her as phone a friend. Okay, look, Leicester City, 5,000 to 1 outsiders to win the league. Probably the biggest sporting upset ever, right? Favourites to be relegated, went on to win the Premiership title. Now, for those of you who are bored with football, I understand that, but but hear this, totally unexpected. Totally. And even the papers were adopting the analogy of the David and Goliath scenario. The little minnow winning against all odds. Leicester City's football team was calculated value at 25 million. Man United spent 250 million in, a, in just buying other players, trying to compete. We all love the underdog, don't we? But let me tell you something. David wasn't the underdog. 
You read the story the wrong way if you get that. Actually, David had won before he entered the field. And and you've got to get that in your head. There's not a shadow of doubt in David's mind that this is a contest. It is totally unequal contest. The giant was always going to fall. One of the lessons that you you need to learn, we need to learn from 1 Samuel 17 is this. Don't fight the giants on their terms. Play dirty. David does. He plays to his strengths. Christians get battered when you play on the opposition's way of understanding life. If you understand this, then actually you are invincible. Does that mean you don't get hurt? Does that mean you don't have struggles? No, not at all. You're, this Bible speaks frequently of, of struggles and, and persecution and difficulties. But we win. Read the last page. Cut to the end. You win. Actually, the good news is you can win most of the time through life. It will throw some spanners at you. But do you know what? If he is unchanging, if he is love, if he is grace, then actually, if we believe this stuff, we live it. We live it. Let's look at the beginning. And I want to, you want to show you something. How do you get a theocentric lifestyle? It does not just happen. That's when Christians get hurt. You get saved. You get used to stuff. You stop training. You stop developing. And then the world comes along and smacks you in the face. And it hurts. You get this. And it's really hard. By study. Church doesn't give you it by the way. I can't give you it by the way. It takes years. And we're going to see that. Let's start with the, with the Bible. We left David last week. He'd met Saul. He was um, called in. He'd been anointed by God. Saul had lost the spirit of God. And I used the phrase that Saul was decreasing. David was increasing. John pointed out that John the Baptist used that phrase. He must decrease As in John decreases and Jesus must increase. And I ended it with saying that we must decrease. He must increase in our lives. That's true for everyone in the room. So this is David being elevated now. It's here for a purpose. It's here for life application. Now the Philistines gathered their forces of war and assembled at Succoth in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damin. Anyone want to tell me what that that word means in Hebrew? Boundary of blood. It's a great phrase if you look at it. It must be a place where there was lots of battles. But a boundary of blood, from a New Testament application, is this. The enemy cannot cross it. You are protected under the blood of Christ. You are protected 100%. It is impossible for the enemy to cross the boundary of blood which was shed for your sins and mine. That's good news, you are allowed to smile. You're in church, not a dentist. Come on, chill. So there's the battle, they're they're lining up. That's the location. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The valley is about a mile wide. On one side you have the Philistine army, on the other side you've got the Israelite army. Probably hundreds of thousands of people. 
camped facing each other. Just picture the scene. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with a valley between them. Where does water flow? On the hill or in the valley? Have a wild stab in the dark. In the valley. You need to remember that. The water's down in the valley. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. And his height was six cubits and a span. Well, that's old money for nine foot. He's a big guy, isn't he? The, the writer wants us to understand this. This guy's a big guy. Saul's a big guy. We found out in 1 Samuel chapter 9 that Saul is a head taller than all the other people. So Saul, by right, if you know the story, he should be the one fighting Goliath. The problem is if Saul goes out and fights him, he'll lose. We've got a giant here. Do you know, giants come into your life. Think about this. Who created Goliath? God. Do you think about that? The Bible says that actually life begins in the womb. God forms and knits the very person that we become even before we leave our mother. So God created him and allowed him to be nine foot tall. Why? Wouldn't it have been easier, God, if you met him five foot six? Nine foot. <laughs> He's a big baby. Not then, but you know, probably. Why does God allow giants? Absolutely. Even Goliath doesn't know this is just an ordinary day in his life. It's an ordinary day in David's life. It's going to turn out extraordinary. But God is still God. He's still at work, even when we don't see him. And hear what I'm saying. He will allow giants into your life. And mine. But there's always a purpose for a giant. So he comes out. Nine foot tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat, a coat of scale armour of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. 125 pounds in weight. Wow. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels which is about 15 pounds of iron at the front of this monstrous weapon and anybody who gets hit with it isn't getting up again he wants you to grasp that the writer's writing this for a reason this is an awesome sight terrifying giants can be terrifying can't they hmm don't tell lies you're in church Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel why do you come out and line up for battle Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? That's error number one, by the way. The army was viewed as being a servant of Saul. Who are we serving? Well done. You're not serving anybody else. You serve God. So this is called a representative, representative battle. And it, this is how some of the, the wars were fought. You choose one man, we'll choose one man. The one who wins, okay, rather than a load of bloodshed, that's one way of, of, of doing it. Choose a man, let him come down to me. 
If he's able to fight and kill me, we'll become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you'll become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. The word defy is what the whole passage is about. There are often clues in how you interpret uh, texts. And this is the clue that the writer wants us to grasp. Six times the word defy is used in chapter 17. And it is all about defying God's honour. It's not about David. It's not about Goliath. It's actually about him. And the army missed the point. Saul misses the point. Sometimes we can miss the point. Don't go fighting battles that you don't need to fight. Christians do that sometimes. We find out from the text that there's some battles you just do not get engaged in. Defying God's honour. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. If there is something that ever dismays you, that's a giant. That's a giant in your life. And it wants looking at. It wants really looking at. I don't mean making you sad. The world makes you sad sometimes. The events of life can make you sad. But when something can take you from looking at the centre of your life and knowing who God is and actually changing our opinion on God, that's a giant that needs slaying. That's got to be slayed properly. Now David, we're just getting a recap, was the son of an Ephraimite named Jesse who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons and in Saul's time he's very old. I love the way the writers just do it. That's it, he's old. Eight sons, David's the youngest. That must have been tough. Do you agree? Or easy peasy life for David. What do you think the older brothers would did to David? They do, don't they? You know? Kids is kids. Think about it. In a small home, probably, actually, yeah, it would have been tough growing up. Jesse's three eldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab. Can anyone remember what Eliab looked like? Handsome? You, I'm handsome. Tall? Who said tall? Tall and dark. Right. He was the natural choice. He was the, he was the, the man of stature and everything. But what did God say to, Sam, to Samuel when he was, went to anoint him? Where does God look at man? In the heart. He says, Samuel, stop it. You're looking on the external, I look on the internal. Well, that's Eliab. He's now on the battle lines. The second was Abinadab and the third was Shema. David was the younger. The three eldest followed Saul. Well, let me tell you, the three eldest should have been following God. But they're following a king, the wrong one. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. We saw a couple of weeks ago that when Samuel poured the oil over David, the scholars reckon he could be no more than 10 or 15 years of age. A child. A shepherd. Not a romantic job, by the way. A very dangerous job. One that was looked down on, one very common in Israel. It's an agricultural society. But he had responsibility for the sheep. Hours and hours and hours and hours just sat alone with sheep. We know that he wrote some of the Psalms. We know that he deepened his relationship vertically with God. 
He would have seen the stars coming out at night and marvelled at creation. He would have wondered at some of the things that he was seeing. Amazed by the love of God. Wondering what this encounter with Samuel had actually happened when the oil flowed down him. But he's still a shepherd. And in that time of keeping sheep, one of the things David will have done was practice being good with a slingshot. He didn't just pick it up one day and go out and face a giant. I'll tell you what actually would have happened. For hours and hours and hours, there was practice and practice and practice. It tells us in Judges that some of these people could hit something at 100 yards. And when you fire a two or three inch pebble, it's travelling at something like 100 mile an hour, they reckon. With that accuracy. I can do that with a rifle as an ex-farmer, but he could do it with a slingshot. There was no competition, you know, when he stepped onto the battlefield. And for us to have that, hear what I'm saying. Hours upon hours upon hours of study, of deepening your relationship with God. I can't do it. No one else can do it for you. No, no person sat next to you. Trusted him. Seeing things come together. Experiencing him. Our faith grows. It does not just happen. And the stronger we allow it to become, the easier the giants fall. My old friend Barbara. Not so old, but you know. As in, I've known you years. An inspiration, a living example of someone who knows God. Someone who knows God where it actually is displayed in her life. Not always had it easy. No. Hours upon hours upon hours. The problem is, while you're doing those things, you don't know what's around the corner. David was a shepherd, waiting to be a king. He doesn't know there's a Goliath coming years later. None of us know what's coming. But they will come. So for 40 days the Philistines came forward every morning and evening. So twice a day he comes out and he abuses the army of God. So Jesse said to his son David, Take this ether of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to the camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of the unit. It's a good dad, isn't it? Looking after his children. See how your brothers are and bring them back some assurance from them. Let me just clarify, Facebook's not here yet. Okay? Instagram, not around. He has to send his son. He's worried about them. How are they doing? Are they still alive? How's the battle going? They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David's obedient to his dad. David knows he's a king. He's still obedient to his dad. He's still doing what his dad's asking him to do. David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry, whipping it up into frenzy. They know what's going to happen. It's been happening. We're going to find out for the last 40 days. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. What a sight that must have been. Do you think, by the way, that David's going to arrive at just that right time by coincidence? 
No. No, no. This is a God incident. Somewhere, Jesse was prompted, you know what, send David to see how the brothers are. And at the time in, and he arrives, and this is kicking off. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. So what does David do? Well, because he has this, this causes a response. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now, the Israelites have been saying, notice this, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. There's our word again. To defy Israel. If they are defying Israel, Israel is God's chosen nation, chosen people, therefore they are defying God. You can join the dots on that one. The king will give great wealth to this man who kills him. He'll also give him his daughter in marriage. Well, either she's gorgeous, or you need to kill a giant to handle the wife. It doesn't tell us, does it? The text leaves us hanging on that one. He'll give his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. Oh, that's another reason to go out and face a giant. Yeah, non-tax. Yeah. Okay, moving on. David asked the men standing there. I, think, I, don't, I, think, I get the impression, look, David is hearing this nonsense around about him. He's, he's saying, what, is, is that the motivation is that the best you've got? Is, is, is that what it's all about? So I don't have to go and pay tax? I'll just kill a giant? I marry the ugly daughter? Whatever. What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Twice now we've had the word defy. In the same passage. They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. You've got the wrong motive. The motive for slaying the giant is to honour God. I'll say that again because that went right over some of your head. Correct. Not just God. Yes. As is John's usual practice, for those who attend this church, the living God. You see, when Matt stood out there and gave his little, sounded like a joke, I was waiting for the punchline. You can follow God. Right? Lots of people follow God. But you've got to follow the right one. You're, no. Not if you're a Hindu. <laughs> there might be a Hindu sat next to you she's from Keithley <laughs> I've never been sure Stephen I've known her several years but I've never been that sure that's the difference look <laughs> don't have a second choice Look, that's the difference let me ask you a question do you follow the living God 
if you follow the living God, the God that we talked about at the beginning with the attributes next to Kay's bed, the love, the holiness, the trustworthiness, that, that's got to show. It, it really has to come out. It's got to have some influence. They're following Saul. At the best, they're following God via Saul. But what about following the living God? Because he is very much alive. You know, as uh, this church, I say it frequently, we follow the word of God. We teach from the word of God. We, we believe the word of God is 100% there for us. You've got to learn how to handle it. You've got to learn some of the keys. But actually, it guides our life. If I, if I just read this as a book... It's just a book. If I lead it and study it, to let it influence how I am, that's got to look like something. You will follow something, if it's, a, if it's someone from history who's, who's wise or whatever, that'll do you no good in the end. Follow the living God. Now the Israelites have been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man. Blah, blah, blah. Come on, move it on. They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done. Yeah, we've been there. Battle number one. Now please hear this. Some battles you are not called to fight. Eliab, David's oldest brother heard him speaking with the men and he burned with anger at him. Why? Come on, David, you've brought lunch. Why would the older brother be angry at him? What does the older brother see in David? Is he jealous? Do, does it go back to when Samuel anointed him and not him? Maybe Eliab is saying, Well, I'm tall. Maybe I should be the one going down into the valley to fight and I don't want to go. But he's burning with anger. Why have you come down here, he says to David, and with whom did you leave those few sheep? Dismissive. You can see the contempt in his voice. I know how conceited you are, really, and how wicked your heart is. Well, remember, God sees a different heart. You came down only to watch the battle. I love this bit. Now what have I done? You can see the brothers arguing, can't you? From history, you can, you can, you can see if you've, if you've got older members in the family, you say those words. What have I done now? It wasn't me, it was the dog. What have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? Move it on. He then turned away. Look, some battles you don't fight. He's there to kill a giant. He's not there to kill a brother. He's there to kill a giant. He just turned away. If he'd listened to Eliab, it'd be a very short sermon. Finished. But he didn't. He just said, that's not why I'm here. Turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the man answered him as before. David must be bewildered. What David said was overheard reported to Saul. And Saul sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no one lose heart. What's all the panic? What's all, what's all the rubbish I'm hearing? 
why are people losing heart of this Philistine? Your servant will go and fight him. Look, it's not a problem. Big guy, big God. How big is your God? How big is he? And even that's not big enough. He needs to be, Stephen. Do you know what? When, when, if you have a big God, right? Think of what Matt was saying about the three circles. If you've got a big God, his influence is flowing out all the time. It's all the time. Every decision I make, every attitude I have is influenced by a big God. Or, it's influenced by a small God. I want a big God. I want a big God. The second battle is coming up. Move it on please, Graham. Saul replied, and people will say these words to you. They've stopped saying them to me. Saul replied, you're not able to go. You can't do that. Oh man, I hate those people. Well, don't hate them, but do you know what I mean? People say when you can't do something. Um, it's generally because they can't do it. You're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. You're only a boy. And he's been a warrior from his youth. Look, at, look, look. There's a, there's a mismatch here, David. It's great that you've got a bit of faith, a bit of courage. But you can't do that. What's Saul's problem? What's his error? Absolutely. He's doing exactly what David... What what cost him his kingship, really? What cost him his anointing from God? He was using these. David's got a heart that's of God. Saul's lost the spirit of God. David's got it. Don't go to war without the spirit of God. Listen, you get... You'll get yourself kicked. You need to be filled with the Spirit of God. How often? Daily. 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 Sometimes several times a day. Being filled. Be filled with the Spirit of God. You do not go to war without being filled. Now then, this is so important. David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock. Let's go straight on. I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when he turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it, and killed it. Yeah, okay. I'm glad I'm not a shepherd. Like that. Do you know what's happened? Look, I I think that David with his slingshot. We're talking about a country that has bears and lions. And I think when they came for the sheep, it's bad enough when we used to farm and the fox came. I had enough stress. But he was fighting lions and bears. And he was defeating lions and bears. Sometimes, what you see is Christians jump into the battlefield. There's no history behind them. There's there's no proving behind who God is. In all the battles that you face, in all the victories that we gather as we go through this life, they're there for a purpose. They are there to grow us and reassure us and confirm God alive in us. Confirm the living God. In the natural, a boy doesn't do that. It needs a God who anoints him and protects him to rescue sheep from the mouth of a lion and a bear. And David does not know Goliath is down the road. 
Sometimes, and I hear it from people, sometimes a, a giant comes into their life and the first thing they do is hit the panic button. It's no good telling me that because I celebrate giants. Does that sound harsh? Well, possibly. But what it means is you can grow. You can grow. There are some things in life that only a giant can grow. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely, John. Yeah, and he, and he gained that without knowing it. Yeah, he gained that without knowing it. And you know what? If if we hadn't got that passage, we wouldn't have known David had done that stuff. He's not boasting. There is no boasting in that text. He's he's stating matter of factly. Look, I've, this has happened in my life, and I've got through it. Do you think the first time he chased a lion he was frightened? Oh yes. Oh yes, and the bear. Yeah. Absolutely. That's the whole purpose of the story. Yeah. Saul's got the wrong vision. David's got the right vision. David knows God's faithfulness. Look. The bear, this uncircumcised Philistine was just like one of them. Because he's defied. This is the reason. He's defied the armies of the living God. Not because he's a big guy with a big mouth loaded down with a big spear and a load of armour. The, the bottom line is, Goliath, you're insulting God. I'm God's child. I can't let that go. I've got to stand up for this against this giant. People will tell you and me what they can or what you cannot do. That's not, that's not, that's not possible. I, I'll tell you something now. As Christians, most of us never reach our potential that God sees. We're saved, we're going to heaven, fantastic. But I just wonder what reaching potential looks like to God. It looks something like this. That should give us huge hope. Choose your battles, choose his battles, fight his battles. David will become the most famous king of Israel. And this is just in his way. Move it on, please. Here we go. And he gives God credit. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Not... I'm great with a with a slingshot. Not that I've got a great track record. The fact that actually, in really difficult times, I know the living God came through for me. This is an interesting phrase from Saul. Saul said to David, Go and the Lord be with you. Fascinating. Saul had had great victories as king in his early days. He knew what it was like to have God with him. He also knows what it's like not to have God with him. He's seen something in this youth now. 
He's seen something that he probably remembers from his past. And somewhere he'd lost it. Another battle coming up. Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put on a coat of armour on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. People want to put stuff on you how they think it should work. If David goes down into that valley dressed like that, he's fighting in someone else's strength. Do you get that? And they'll do that in life. They will put something on you. They'll tell you, well, if you're going to go, you better go like this. No, 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 no. You be the person God made you to be. You don't try and be someone else. If we believe God creates in the womb, and he does, and he calls, and he equips, and does all these things, why be anybody else? Why try and be somebody else? David is not a Saul. A Saul will not win this fight. David is a David anointed by God. How about being a whatever anointed by God? Took his staff in his hand. This is who he is. He's a shepherd. He chose five smooth stones from the stream. And we agreed at the beginning that actually the stream's in the valley. As a tourist attraction, they take busloads of Christians to this valley. And you can pick up stones from, from there. I, we pick up shells. I'm confessing my sins. We pick up shells from the seaside. Kay said to me last time, are we pinching these? I'll let you decide. But there must have been thousands of stones picked up over the thousands of years where Christians have picked up something similar. These aren't little pebbles like we've got in the garden. These are two, three inches big. He's left, he's left the tent. He's left Saul. He's left everything behind him. And he's gone down into the valley to meet Goliath. And he is fully committed before he's got any weapon. Think about that. He is fully committed before he's got any weapon. Sometimes Christians are paralysed by analysis. Isn't that true? Don't we over-analyse stuff? Don't we want all the boxes ticking before we take that step of faith? David knows what he's going to do. He knows what he's going to do. He knows the outcome. He's just walking down and says, on the way, and... Come on, you've heard it said before. Why five stones? For his brothers. Do you realise that? In 2 Samuel we find that there are four brothers. And David was quite prepared for the four of them to come out. It wasn't going to bother David. <laughs> and, and that's a remar remarkable, isn't it? Yeah, you and I might have edged a bit. But yeah, yeah, we'll have a few spare. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he take, yeah, I think that's... Confidence, yeah. Puts them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. And of course we concentrate on the, on the end. Let's have a look. Meanwhile the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. And he looked David over and he saw that he was a little more than a boy. Well Goliath, you've just made your mistake. He's a little boy filled with the Spirit of God. Filled with the spirit of the living God. And he's glowing with health and he's handsome and he despised him. And he said to David, 
And these are just amazing words. Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. In Philistine belief, when the battle was won, we saw it earlier, that when their god Dagon in chapter 4 captured the ark, it's, it's won by the gods. The bigger the god, the more certain the victory. So he's seeing this and he's thinking, you've just got a little god. It's not a problem. Moving on. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David's good at words as well. So he replies, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin. And he does. And he did. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have, and here's our word again, defied. If you're going out to battle, make sure you come in the, in the right order. You need to come in the name of the Lord Almighty. The big Lord Almighty. There's a lot in the name, and if you study the names of God in the Bible, they tell you a story. Does anyone know any of the names of God in the, in, in the Bible? El Shaddai? Yahweh? Jehovah Jireh. Do you know what that one means? He is, yeah. The Lord is my provider. Fantastic. Study them. They're there for a reason. As Israel, as Israel um, begins to develop its relationship with God, they struggle with language to describe this God. What did Moses mean? Who did, who, Moses said, look, if I'm going to go back to Egypt and tell them that you've said they've got to come let them go, who was the God that Moses met? I am. I am. That's everything. That's your get out of jail free card. You've got a God who is I am. If you need a provider, you've got a provider. If you need a healer, you've got a healer. If you need love, then you've got a God who is love. David's got the Lord Almighty, Yahweh. Goliath's got a javelin, a spear and plenty of armour. David's got God. Whom he's defying. Let's have a look. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. What a great testimony. You know when we um, named this church the Beacon, we didn't just dream it up. Right? It was something that God spoke in a prayer meeting. It's something that was confirmed twice elsewhere. And we said, right, okay, God. Actually, Michelle and I wanted to call it S20. It was laughed out at the leaders' meeting. <laughs> I crawled away like this. <laughs> Which is probably good, really. Because that wasn't God's name. Do you know this place is going to be a beacon? A beacon. Not because we thought of that, actually because God thought of that. I don't know why I said that, but there we go. It is a beacon, it's shining. Look. This very day I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. That's why I said it. Do you want the whole world to know there's a God in halfway? I do. He's here. Changing lives. Touching lives. 
But imagine what he's going to do with those lives. Because you can't, by the way. This is a God who can do immeasurably more than we can hope or imagine. All those gathered here, and there are probably hundreds of thousands on either side of that valley, looking down at a young boy and a warrior. We'll know that this is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. And as the Philistine moved closer, picture the scene, the giants come in, he wants hand-to-hand combat, and he's probably had dozens of these in his life, and he knows the ends, he's going to kill this young kid. What does David do? Run quickly towards him. Just an inconvenience, I want lunch, come on, let's get this over. Think about it, he's running now. Whirling that thing around. Reaching into his bag, taking out, his, out, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. I went on YouTube and I looked at a couple of YouTube videos about this. Because, of course, the uh, artist impressions, there were no filming in these, these days, you realise that. Uh, it's quite funny. You've got, you've got Goliath stood there waiting for a stone to hit him. Do you know this is over in a couple of seconds? It really is that quick. David's made a decision. He's just got to get let the act happen. What would have happened had David let go of the stone and it went backwards? And sorry, no, it had travelled all the way round to Australia, come right, right, right the way round back, uh, and then turned and hit him on the back of the head. He was going down. He was going down. David knew that in his heart. He'd done the lion and the bear and he's proved it. Look, let's come back to present day. What has God done in your life? What, is, what, what has God, you know, because we can look at this and it's a great story and it's true and there's great application but the bottom line is this, what has God done for us? Yeah, you start. It's, sorry. Defragment. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what we, do, what we can do sometimes? Know what we do frequently? We forget. We, we forget. Something comes into our life which is big and ugly and powerful and we forget what God has done. And, and I know some of the stories in the room and, and I am not cheapening anything. I promise you I'm not, I'm not cheapening anything. What I'm asking us to do is to learn to be theocentric. If we can learn that, and it takes years. It takes years of, of being defragmented, years of messing up, because you will. Years of understanding that when I mess up, I can come back to him in repentance and put my hands up and then he will say, yeah, we're back to how we were. Come on, child, up you get. Let's move it on. Try again. No condemnation. Let's lift you out of the mire. Clean you off. Let you feel some love. And even all the way through all of that, when the giants don't fall, and and hear what I'm saying, that's not in the passage, but when the giants don't fall how I want them to fall, learning to put my trust in him anyway. Learning to know that actually, I've got a track record with God. I've got a track record. I don't have all the answers, but this much I do know. I know God loves me. I know that. And no one will ever, ever 
Take that away. This much I know, that God loves me despite whatever happens in my life. And, and there will be things that happen in my life. But God loves me. The living God. And one day, maybe I'll get some answers. The giant's dead. I like dead giants. Let's have a look what happens next. Move it on, please, Graham. Have we gone blank? It doesn't matter. Ah, okay. Ah, well, we're going to do the chapter. Let me tell you what happens in Samuel before we look at Romans. David's victory cuts the giant's head off. David's victory ignites the army. It changes everyone behind him into victories. Victors, that's the word, John. I couldn't get my teeth out around it. Okay. It changes everyone behind him. What they saw previously is now dead. We never know what God will do with a life that's sold out for him. We, We never know what a testimony we have. Some will have big testimonies. Some will have... From want a better description, smaller testimonies. But we've all got a testimony. I loved it when June came out to the front, you know, because she's been praying for, for Chloe. She's been praying for Chloe. And she comes to her church family and she says, look, Chloe's got to go into hospital and this has got to happen and everything. Yeah, I love it. I love it when Vicky gets to a rave and comes and shares it. Because I know she's shy. You wouldn't think that if you ever sat with her in the car. Okay, heck, man. <laughs> look, let's have a look at Romans, sorry. <laughs> let's have a look in, in Romans. I just want to finish with two passages and I'll, whip, I'll whiz through them. Look, I'm going to read out, listen to what the words of God say. This is Paul. What then shall we say in response to these things? This is Romans chapter 8 and if, what he's referring to is the previous seven chapters. Seven and a half chapters, eight chapters. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? We forget that. Look, is God for you today? He is, isn't he? How do you know that? Because I tell you. Go on. How do you know? Because he tells us. God himself, the God who will not lie, said he's for you. End story. Okay, God is for us. Who can be against us? Uh, Paul had lots of problems in his life. He goes to prison twice, shipwrecked three times, flogged, beaten, and everything. Those things didn't change his opinion. God is for him. Okay, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? And you've told me that you're chosen. It is God who justifies. What does justification look like? What does it mean? Declared righteous, innocent, not guilty. Easy peasy, just as though I'd never sinned. When I go and stand before God, that's the person he sees. Who then is the one who condemns? You know what? If you are under any condemnation today, it's in your head. It's a giant. It's a giant. And you need to kill it. That's one that does need to go. If you are a child of God, the condemnation will never come from God. And, and if your theology doesn't get there, you need to see me. Right? No matter what you have done, 
and I mean no matter what you have done, right? That sin is on the cross of Christ. Why live under the burden of it? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us today. Jesus, interceding for us. Look at this one. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Do you want to have a wild guess? Does a Goliath separate you? Who's going to separate you from God's love? How, how, how sad. How sad when we don't receive that. How sad when we actually live as though we are separated from God's love. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble? You will know trouble. Shall hardship? Shall persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? And Paul knew a lot of this stuff in his life. This isn't theory. This is truth. I'll jump to verse 37. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You will be a conqueror if you have a theocentric lifestyle. You've got to earn it. You've got to work at it. He wants you to have it. Last verse in Romans. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us. And you can put your own name there. If you are a child of God today, I encourage you, put your own name in. All of, none of that's ever going to change because it's not dependent on you or me. We'll be able to separate us from the love of God. That's our God. That's our God. Okay, I'm going to end with one more scripture. Can you put the 1 John chapter 4 up? If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives them and they in God. That's not just a verbal assent, that is allowing God to be sovereign in your life. And so we know and rely on the love of God, this is the love of God, as for us, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. That's your calling. That is your goal. That is my goal, to be like Jesus. And watch what happens. There is no fear in love. There's fear in the world. But this world stinks sometimes. And it will in people's lives. But if we can concentrate on him who is unchangeable, doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. You know, do not hear what I'm not saying. There are some going through really difficult times. But God's love, it's what brings us through. You've got to learn to judge things totally different. You, you, you can look like a Saul and see a giant. You can look like Saul's army and see the giant. Or we can learn to see things differently. And I just want to urge us, as I close with this, I urge us to try and learn to see things from God's perspective. In all things. In every area of our life. Every area influenced by God. Why do I say that? 
Because we follow the living God. Can we say Amen? Okay.